John Briggs Consultancy, leading Australia's reconciliation and Indigenous engagement journey. As a leading specialist in his field of training, consulting and facilitation, John has an exceptional talent for bringing each participant, organisation and audience along on a journey of discovery. He is a master of building cultural safety with any group. John works with audiences of all levels and backgrounds, from senior executives to students and educators. He covers political, legislative and economic pillars to help participants gain a better understanding of Indigenous governance in a holistic framework. John Briggs Consultancy is the exclusive provider and subject matter expert around Indigenous engagement for Coles nationally and he's delivered more than 180 presentations for them since 2011. If you want to find out more about John Briggs Consultancy, please go to www.johnbriggs.net.au or call John Direct on 0417 003 From Claire Field and Associates, I'm Claire, and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. Apologies in advance that once again we're a little bit late in getting this episode out to you. There's been a lot going on again in the last couple of weeks, not least noisy building works which made recording very difficult. And because of the heavy internet usage across Australia due to COVID, I've noticed there are a couple of small sound glitches during this episode, but I hope they're not too distracting. And so with all of those apologies out of the way, welcome to episode 31 of the podcast. And this week I chat to Dr. Laura Hugaz, who is an expert in the private tertiary education sector, particularly higher education, and who's currently working as a consultant to the sector. I figured with all of the reforms underway in the public university sector, proposed changes to VET funding, and the closure of our borders to international students as a result of COVID-19, it would be good to touch base with Laura to hear how the private higher education sector is going. What I particularly enjoy about Laura's insights is her focus on entrepreneurship. She's published on this topic, including a suite of case studies on entrepreneurism in the Australian private higher education sector, If you're interested, I've included a link to her book in the notes for this episode, as well as a link to the latest Texas statistics on independent higher education institutions, if you're interested. Lastly, before we start, don't forget to get in touch if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. You can rate and review the show in your favourite podcast app, or you can connect with me on Twitter, on LinkedIn or via Facebook. And now for today's episode, here's Laura with her insights on Australia's independent higher education sector. Well, it's a real pleasure. 
pleasure now for me to be joined on this episode of the podcast by someone I was lucky enough to work with a few years ago, Dr. Laura Hugues. And Laura is uh, a real expert in the private higher education sector, even a published author, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But first of all, Laura, welcome. And I wonder if you could talk us through your background in the sector, who you are and and what kind of things that you've done and seen. Thank you, Claire, for having me on your uh, podcast. So, yes, and it was a pleasure working together uh, a while ago. I, uh, as you know, I'm an experienced senior academic. I've worked in senior positions in both the university system and the independent higher education sector for many years. Uh, where I was responsible for the overall management of higher education and vocational programs and where I gained extensive knowledge of both uh, sectors. I've represented the independent education sector through my work with APET, now known as ITICA, Independent Tertiary Education Council of Australia, and I currently work as a consultant in tertiary education. I've established and managed partnerships with international um, institutions, with industry, and I've created new educational initiatives, new programs um, related to employment and sustainable uh, community programs. I've published widely on a range of topics. So from my expertise, area of expertise in entrepreneurship, but also in learning and teaching, the student experience in higher education, international study abroad programs and researching in the non-university higher education sector and also academic governance. Uh, I have a PhD in entrepreneurship and I've recently published two books in this area, And my latest book is entitled Entrepreneurs Creating Educational Innovation, Case Studies from Australia. It's published by Springer Publishers and it's available online from the Springer Publishers website. And I'm very excited. I have to interrupt you there. It's also available from Amazon because that's where I bought mine and it's on my Kindle. Sorry, keep going. Oh, good. (laughs) So I'm very excited to be here to talk to you about the book today. Uh, And it's a great uh, pleasure to to have you and all of your um, experience and insights. You are quite the renaissance woman of the higher education sector. And I particularly love your your focus on uh, entrepreneurship. So uh, your book is... um, it contextualizes the um, independent or private higher education sector in Australia through case studies of seven particular leaders um, and their institutions. Um, over to you, talk us through some of what you learnt in in the um, in the book, in you know, in compiling the different case studies, and, and what are some of the cool things people should know. Thank you. Well, as the title suggests, uh, the book studies the contribution that entrepreneurs have made to Australian tertiary education, uh, how these entrepreneurs have diversified the sector, 
over the past 15, 20 years, which traditionally has been dominated by the publicly funded universities and takes. So the book focuses on the role that entrepreneurs have played in disrupting, let's say, and transforming the tertiary education sector in Australia, which is a, a wonderful and, and big achievement. Um, the um, book is important as it recognises the contribution that entrepreneurs have made not only in creating a new independent tertiary educational sector and new businesses, but their contributions are also um, having a noticeable impact on our society, on our economy and the educational profile of Australia in general. So the book fo focuses on questions such as how did the, these entrepreneurs identify new opportunities in the sector, in the tertiary education sector? So what drove them? Who and what supported them in their entrepreneurial journey? And how did they achieve success in what they set out to do? Uh, now, there are two parts to the book. So part one provides an overview of the tertiary education sector in Australia, and it discusses the rapid growth of the independent sector. And part two comprises the seven case studies of some of those Australia's well-known independent tertiary um, institutions, and some are very large international organisations, some are very small, uh, working in particular niche areas but all of them offer courses across uh, VET as well as higher education from certificates through to bachelor and some offer master program, master's programs as well. The case studies present the entrepreneurs, so the people <laughs> who have founded these institutions and they present their amazing stories. Um, these are, are, are Outstanding stories of perseverance, of courage, of persistence, of uh, as well as stories of hard work, very hard work, but also stories of believing in what you can achieve. Um, they're insightful and very personal stories that really make some fascinating reading. Some of the entrepreneurs who participated in the study, as I said, have founded uh, large organisations that are now international organisations, for example, Rod Jones, who co-founded Navitas. Uh, Navitas is now in 28 countries, um, offers courses from foundation studies into VET, into higher ed, um, so right across. Uh, also Serena Russo of the Serena Russo Group in Queensland and Victoria. Uh, and they deliver right across Australia and the UK. Um, others have uh, founded educational institutions that are more focused in their offerings. Uh, Martin Cass, for example, of JMC Academy in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, offering uh, VET and higher ed. All of them, as I said, offer VET and higher ed. Matt Matthew Jacobson of the um, Duceri Global Business School, um, based in Melbourne with online delivery across Australia and internationally, in the process of moving headquarters to the US. Interesting. Others work in more specific niche areas, Leanne Whitehouse, for example, the Whitehouse Institute of Design, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, Julie Moss of Photography Studies College in Melbourne, and Greg Quigley 
of Jazz Music Institute in Brisbane. As I said, uh, the book has been published by Springer Publishers. They are uh, a well-known and highly regarded international publishers, and they were very keen to publish the book because it provides the practical and fascinating case studies of successful educational entrepreneurs. There is a real lack of case studies. So, um, and the good thing is that the book is being read right around the world, <laughs> which is encouraging for me personally as an, as an author, and it shows a lot of support for my work, which I'm very proud of, but also we are getting our message out about um, the contribution that independent um, tertiary uh, education providers are making. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. And like you, uh, I'm lucky enough to know uh, some. Uh, not, not all. There's one uh, person in your case studies who I, I haven't met yet, but the others I certainly have, and they are uh, such a, a dynamic and interesting uh, group of people. Are there any particularly, I mean, if I was listening to this as someone in uh, university, um there's still a, 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 quite a knowledge gap of the independent sector. Is there a case study, perhaps maybe um, Greg Quigley, what is the Jazz Music Institute? Did you want to give us a bit more flavour on on what a independent higher education or tertiary education provider is and the kinds of students that they have? I know I'm putting you a little bit on the spot, but just to give a, a, a richer context for some of our listeners who won't have had the the experience that uh, that you've had. Yes, um, the Jazz Music Institute is um, teaches specifically jazz, and the story um, is absolutely fascinating. Um, uh, uh, Greg has has always had a love for jazz ever since he was young. Um, he remembers um, buying his first um, trumpet uh, with, um, um, you know, walking past Alan's music store, watching that trumpet for months and then finally being able to afford to buy it. Um, and then having to teach himself what does jazz music, uh, basically, you know, how do I play jazz music? What are the rules? What are not, not, not the rules? And finding that there was a gap in, um, in, uh, how we teach jazz music, um, in Australia. Um, he basically couldn't find anybody to teach him, couldn't find any courses, so started writing some material, um, started teaching in secondary schools, and then realized that the home of jazz music was the US, so took off to the US on, um, and just began to make contact with people in the industry and bringing people out here uh, in the industry. So it was a, a journey for him that led to the um, uh, uh, driven by need, by his own personal need, but um, eventually realising, oh, there's an opportunity here to teach others. I want to give others the opportunity that I didn't have. And that was how he identified a gap and a niche and a, and a desire. He's, he was driven by that love for, for, for jazz his whole life, you know, wanting to spread the word of jazz in Australia and, and 
giving the opportunity to our own students. So he, he's, he created a, a small, you know, started with a certificate and a diploma and then the biggest hurdle was was offering that bachelor of, of jazz music. And basically um, he is the only private provider teaching jazz music. He has supported one of the universities in Sydney to set up a jazz, mu- um, jazz uh, music course. Uh, but um, the contacts that he has in the industry, uh, he, he nobody knows the industry in the US and here like he does. His students are um, um, people who love jazz um, and they are from Australia and international too. So they find him on the internet and they, they come out because of the reputation. Fantastic. And he's an all-round lovely person as well, which just, you know, as uh, as are all the, the people in your case studies. And one last thing on your case studies, Laura. Now, I've always said Doucet and you, because you, you know, fabulous Italian woman that you are, you say Ducere, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, yes. but if you're, you know, I don't mind a bit of Italian and I'm very rusty, um, so just wanted to make sure that, that people who had been mispronouncing the institution's name, uh, like me, um, had understood that that was uh, the one of the case studies that you had mentioned. Yes. Now I want to take you from all of your experience in public and private institutions, the work that you've done, um, case studies of those entrepreneurs and ask you to reflect on the biggest challenges for the non-university higher education sector. And I just want to give a bit of context. So we've had the government um, proposing a number of funding reforms for the university sector which are almost, but not quite, almost entirely silent on the non-university higher education sector. There is a mention of uh, university colleges having access to a small number of um, Commonwealth-supported places. Uh, we've got a few short courses that are being, we're in the middle of COVID, we've got a few short courses that are being funded um, uh, with loans from the government through private uh, independent higher education providers as well as others through the university sector. So that's the landscape that we're in at the moment. Uh, and as we're, as we're talking, um, you know, further lockdowns in Victoria have been uh, announced with the, the stage four lockdowns. So it's at this particular moment in time and history can you reflect for us what you think some of the challenges are for those independent higher education providers? As you've said, Claire, um, in recent times, the tertiary sector is certainly facing some very big and interesting challenges um, and positioning themselves as well for some change. Um, I think that's inevitable and it's important to, to keep in mind. What's evident is that the universities and TAFEs and a number of independent providers are in the process of reconsidering, redefining their profiles, partly, um, uh, I suppose, for the public institutions in response, as you said, to new priorities being driven by a federal government through changes of, to funding. So um, obviously funding being directed towards courses with vocational outcomes, but more serious 
uh, as you mentioned, has been the impact of the decrease of um, international student numbers at the moment, which has come as, as an impact of um, the pandemic. Um, and obviously our tertiary sector has been relying heavily on this. The decrease is partially due to the growth of, uh, as well, um, uh, alongside the growth of the tertiary sector in other countries, such as China and India. But what's hit us so suddenly has been the coronavirus pandemic, which has affected us um, unexpectedly. The pandemic obviously has affected also the way tertiary institutions teach, how staff work. So, you know, the day-to-day -day delivery and how how we actually, um, how the sector actually can function and how institutions can function. Um, the sectors had to quickly adapt to having staff work from home um, as well as teach and deliver um, teaching courses online or remotely. Uh, and how teaching will be delivered in future will be an interesting challenge. Perhaps a more hybrid approach. Um, will we go back to class teaching? Interesting challenge, particularly for courses in the health and medical creative arts as well areas where that um, personal contact is so important. Um, as we know, the independent sector faces ongoing competition from the universities and TAFEs and, and uh, which are financially supported. Um, they face the ongoing challenge of surviving in a tough regulatory as well as financial environment, and I envisage that this will continue to be an increasing burden. Um, having an interest in entrepreneurship, I'm conscious that a tough regulatory environment is in contrast with the sense of entrepreneurship that we're trying to build or create among our students, and across the education sector in general. And stifling entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial opportunities um, in uh, Australian tertiary education, uh, it's a concern that I have with too much regulation stifling. Um, the, the feeling of entrepreneurship that we're trying to create within our economy as well. However, I like to maintain a positive attitude. As a researcher in the area of entrepreneurship, I see this um, as a particularly interesting time. We have a new normal, a fast-changing environment with new conditions and hopefully with new opportunities that may already exist in the system or it might allow us to create them. Um, it's a great occasion to create and develop new educational frameworks and new programs. And it's certainly an exciting time of change. Some would say worrying time, but I like to also see it as an exciting time of change, uh, which leaves the door open for new entrepreneurs and new entre entrepreneurial achievements to emerge and create innov innovative educational ventures and hopefully it will be time soon to write my next book Claire so that I can capture their new success stories. <laughs> Fantastic that'll be entrepreneurs post-COVID or something. 
Yes, <laughs> great title. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect you need to trademark it or copyright it now because I reckon there'll be a lot uh, wanting to, to use that, whether they're in our sector or not. Um, Laura, just reflecting on that, um, and it is fabulous that you end on a, on a positive note, but I wanted to just go back to your point about uh, the balance of regulation versus entrepreneurship. And I'm conscious that as a former regulator myself and with not parts of the higher education sector, in fact, but some parts of the, the um, private vet sector having really busted apart, you know, poor regulations and, uh, and misused them uh, for their own personal benefit. It's important to contextualise you know, for people again who aren't familiar with the independent um, higher education sector, I do think it's important to to contextualise your comments in in that uh, in that part of the sector that the independent higher education sector has been um, effective in its regulation and that there aren't uh, quality problems. There's fantastic uh, independent providers, in fact, who score more highly on graduate outcomes and student satisfaction than many public universities. And it's in that context that I think your comments are spot on. We really need to guard against going too far and missing out on both more entrepreneurs coming into the sector with all their great ideas and passion for education. But also this is a time for us to be helping students graduate with entrepreneurial ideas and the get up and go to take their own vision for we need more uh, like the the Jazz Music Institute and the other um, entrepreneurs that that you've drawn attention to not just in our sector but more broadly across the the Australian economy. I, I, you've said it very well, Claire, and I think the case studies are good examples of what entrepreneurs can bring and how they can help, you know, to um, identify new niches. And, and I'm happy with the regulation to be there, but I like the window of entrepreneurship to also have, have its chance and, and have its own opportunity to grow. And what a, a great way to, to end our conversation. Uh, well, there's a new CEO of Texa coming at some point, and let's hope that that's where they, they take things, that getting that balance, uh, that they're able to get that balance right. Laura, it is always so good to chat to you. I look forward to the day when we can do it over coffee or vino face-to-face in Melbourne at some point. In the meantime, stay safe, uh, take care of yourself, and thanks for making time to chat. Thank you, Claire. Thank you for giving me the opportunity and a glass of red vino would be great.